<clears throat> so we're starting. We just finished Mark. Love Mark. It's one of my favorite gospels. It's one of my top four gospels. They're awesome. Great. It's focused on Jesus for a long time, and that's needed. Uh, now we're doing a series called Lines. And in my humble opinion, when you look at our culture, we are erasing these lines that have been around for really thousands of years that have guided men and women and guided the church and guided people for a long time. And we're just trying to erase them all and act like there's no lines. But that's not life. That's not freedom, right? Lines are important. If you're driving to the coast, I'm super thankful that there are lines that separate the two traffic, right? And there are accidents every time where somebody tries to pass at the wrong point or gets outside of those lines. It's dangerous. In athletics, lines really matter. It tells you if something's in or out, whether it's a touchdown or a fourth down. Lines matter. And I think that the Bible gives us lines and says, these are the lines to flourishing. These are the lines to how I designed you. And so what I'm going to try to do in the next six, seven weeks is give lines that are biblical, but also that also tell you if you're new, this is what Edgewater does. This is how we function. This is what we believe, right? So you can know if this is a place where you can participate and partner with us and do kingdom work. So it'll kind of serve both of those things. Um, I'm jumping in today to the deep end, no doubt. And it's a cultural deep end. And it's a changing cultural deep end. Because if I was to preach this 30 years ago, you would yawn and be like, oh, what's the big deal? But in just 30 years, the metrics about how we interact with culture has so changed that I know I'm going to get a ton of emails and maybe a death threat or two, which is okay. Because I'm not preaching this to be popular, right? That's, a, that's an impossible target. If you're preaching to be popular, man, you're going to be constantly changing your message. And I'm saying this is what the Bible says. And you can get mad at me if you want. It doesn't matter because it's what the Bible says. And these are the guidelines that our designer gave us. And when we're inside of them, we flourish, Okay. So maybe the best way to introduce this idea is to see how sometimes outsiders see the church. And so this happened to me, I think it was about 14 years ago. I had ordered a man, a ton of books from Amazon and they all came at one time, but one of the books didn't make it into my mailbox. And where I live, I'm in, you know, out toward Murphy, uh, we're at a dead end and there's this spider web of driveways that go off there. And all of our mailboxes are in a row. So there's like 12, probably a dozen mailboxes. So it didn't make it in. And one of our neighbors, he actually lives about as far away from us as possible. We don't know him very well. He found the book. And the book was titled Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and even, or a Response to Evangelical Feminism by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. It's 600 pages thick. It's a thicky, hard book. So he finds this book, and now he's like, what mailbox does this go in? So this is what this guy did. He starts to go door to door, knocking on people's door. Is this your book? Right? So he shows up at some dude's house. And he's like, hey, is this your book? The guy's like, recovering biblical manhood and womanhood 
a response to evangelical feminism. No way, bro, that ain't my book. My wife would kill me, take it away, right? So he works through, ends up at my house. I'm not there to set this up. At my house at that time, you would come to our front door and the front door is, it has a big glass window in it. And you would look directly into our kitchen, right? So we have a no shoe policy at our house. So my wife is there. Elijah is like six months old or eight months old or something. She has him on her hip. I've got my three little daughters running around my house as well. She's barefoot because there's no shoes in my house. And she is cooking a meal at the stove when the guy knocks on the door. So he's looking in, he sees this. My wife turns around, apron on, kids running around, barefoot, comes to the door, opens it. He just says, I found your husband's book. Right? <laughs> barefoot and pregnant, that's the way we like them. What was even better was, I didn't know him very well, but after that, when I would pass him on Walker Road, every time he did, he'd be like, yeah, just a big thumbs up. Like, rolled in his window, yeah, man, woohoo! I'm like, oh, why couldn't it have been a Max Lucado book, man? <laughs> and that's sometimes the way, when we talk about men and women and design, that's sometimes the way the world views the church, like it's antiquated and what's wrong with them and how could they feel this way, all right? So we're talking about this week, men and women in the church. Next week, we're gonna talk about men and women in marriage are at home. And the Bible does give lines. And you can either ignore them or you can say, this is the design, let's figure out how to work in them. And in church, there's unique positions that people have staked out. There's three big ones. I'll give them to you. Number one is hierarchical, and it's real simple. Men are the boss. Women submit, men are the boss. And in every survey taken, about 50% of church members like this one. <laughs> All right, and there's number two. The word use, I don't like it as much, is complementarianists. I like partnership better, but complementarianists is the word that's used. And what complementarianists believe is this, men and women are not interchangeable. You can't like just pull a man out and shove a woman right into that same spot. That we are equal in essence, equal in dignity, but we are distinct in our design and our roles. And the Bible gives those distinct roles to us. And when we follow those distinct rules, the strengths and weaknesses kind of pair up really well when it comes to men and women. And together we image God correctly. Back to Genesis chapter one. So that would be complementariness. The third big group is egalitarian. So egalitarian really it says in church, Men and women are interchangeable. You can just move them around, put them in any position you want. There's not really distinct roles or differences in those kind of things. It doesn't matter. And their number one verse for this, the magna opus, is Galatians 3.28. And that text says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, Greek or, excuse me, rich or poor, slave or free, all are one in Christ. And they say, look, all lines were erased. 
Well, the problem with that is that text is not talking about roles, it's talking about salvation. Galatians 3 is all about Jesus being the new schoolmaster, if you would. We were in a prison of the law, we've been set free because of Christ, and now we all get saved the same way. That's what it's saying. And uh, Greek doesn't cease being a Greek, and a Jew doesn't cease being a Jew, and a man doesn't become a woman. It does, those are lines, we're still, a slave didn't become free, right? It didn't erase those lines, it's just saying everyone gets saved the same way. A much better way to argue egalitarian to me is you look at, in the Old Testament, there was a right, something that you did that marked you as a follower of Yahweh. What was that? Anybody know? Circumcision, right. Who got circumcised in the Old Testament? I hope you're not learning something. <laughs> Men got circumcised alone, right? Well, in the New Testament, What's the outward mark that then people know you're a follower of Jesus? Baptism. Baptism. That's the outward mark, right? Salvation internal, you make that decision, you get baptized, it tells everybody else, oh, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's the outward mark of an inward work. So who gets baptized in the New Testament? Men and women, right? To me, that's a much stronger argument. But those are the big three, right? So, all right, you have those big three. And people debate all over the place, you know, which is it? So here's what I want to do. I want to look at scripture. I'm going to read the scriptures that are discussed about how you come up with these places that a church will fall. And there's probably three or four in between each one of these. These are just the big three. There's hard complementariness. There's soft complementariness, right? So here are the big scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. What does that mean? He's the king. He's the boss, right? But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. What does that mean? Right? Verses seven through nine. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. What does that mean? Well, let's look. Genesis chapter two. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. What does that mean? A woman was made from man to be his helper. All right. How about chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 33? As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. What does that mean? uncomfortable silence. <laughs> Does that mean all the women need to learn sign language? Is it you come in with your wife and the moment you hit church, she's like, I'll text you from now on, right? Okay, how about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. 
I do not permit a woman to teach and just, we'll hit this later, to teach or to exercise authority. That's, you should circle that. To permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she'll be saved through childbearing. Barefoot and pregnant, baby. All right, these are the texts. These are the ones that when a church or a group of people are trying to figure out, like, are we hierarchical? Are we complementarianist? Are we egalitarian? These are your main big texts. How do you feel about them right now? <laughs> yeah. God bless your husband. <laughs> right? So my goal is to try to get us to think about what are the roles of men and women in a church. And this could be a month of Sundays. So I'm not gonna cover everything. I'm just gonna try to give us an understanding of where Edgewater's at, why this is important, and how we walk this out, right? So Ray Steadman, on these texts one time, said, these texts makes us question, are women fully human, right? You kind of, well, are, yeah, are they second-class humans? Are they real humans? What are they? Or modern, who wears the pants in the family? Well, I do, but my wife chooses them, right? So we have all these kind of ways, right, of dancing around the big questions and kind of deflecting like, ah, oh, well, I don't really want to address them because that's hard to address, is it not? So here's the big question when it comes to men and women in the church. What are women allowed to do in church? Are they allowed to pray? Are they allowed to lead a ministry? Are they allowed to lead us in communion? Are they allowed to teach where a man might be present? Are they allowed to be on committees that are making decisions? Right? Are they allowed to be a missionary? Could they go and plan a mission in Uganda or something? Could we send a woman to do that? Or the big question, can a woman be an elder? Those are the big questions people ask all the time. So that's in the church. Next week, we'll do men and women at home in marriage and all that kind of stuff. But it's really, we're just focusing in on what happens here. And the verses I just read, they're the guidance. So now let me balance those with just kind of 10 statements I'm going to make, which include Edgewater's position on this, okay? So I don't want them up here because that would take too long. Just listen through these statements. Number one is this, the stereotypes. And I know these are stereotypes, but stereotypes have a place. They tell the leanings of your soul, right? That's what a stereotype is. So here are the stereotypes. And I know the stereotypes. Stereotype of feminism is this. Men have messed up the world and the women are here to save it. Chauvinism. Women have messed up the world and men are here to save it. What does the Bible say? You've both messed up the world and Jesus is here to save you personally and individually. 
And so everything that I'm going to say and all that I'm going to talk about this week and next week, I'll say this, it will not work if your heart has not been redeemed by Jesus Christ. You will take these ideas and you will twist them and manipulate them for your own joy and your own pleasure. That's what you'll do with them. And men do it all the time and women do it all the time. And so it only works, it only works when your heart has been changed. If it hasn't, I'll take these ideas, I'll get those verses, and I'll be like, women, wife, woman, whatever, submit, right? I tell men all the time, if you have to tell your wife to submit, you already lost. You should never have to tell your wife to submit. When I'm doing what I'm doing correctly, nail pierced, servant leadership, like Jesus modeled throughout the gospels, I won't have to say that. It's only when I'm being a tyrant do I start pulling out these verses and trying to force someone to submit, right? And that's what men do. If we're not heart changed by Jesus, we revert back to our nature, which is I am stronger and I am louder and I will bully you into accepting my position. And that happens all the time. And it's sad. It's my wife becomes a toy for me. My kids are there to represent me instead of knowing, no, God put me in this home to cherish and love my wife, to raise up children that will not bring glory to me, but will bring glory to Jesus Christ, their creator. It only works when we realize Jesus came to fix messed up people of whom I am the chief, right? Number one. Number two, women wrote scripture Do you know that? The Song of Miriam. The Red Sea parts, Miriam goes on the other side. Spontaneously, the spirit just begins to speak through her and she sings this glorious song and God says, that's inspired scripture and now it is in the Bible and men have studied that scripture for thousands of years. The Song of Deborah, same thing. When Jabez is nailed to the ground with a tent by Yael. You ever read that story? Brilliant, right? A woman nails this dude to the ground with a tent stake. And Deborah, this judge of Israel, responds by singing this brilliant song. And God says, that's scripture. There's a debate by scholars about Esther because of the prose of it. Maybe it was written by a woman. No one knows. Mary, When she is told, you are going to have Jesus. You're going to be the mother of Jesus. She busts into this song called the Magnificent. And it is in scripture, studied by men for thousands of years. Women authored scripture. Number three, in the beginning, chapter one, God creates you and me, male and female. He gives to the man and the woman the exact same mandate be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the world, and subdue it. Exactly the same. No difference at all. Same mandate in Genesis chapter 1. Number four. In the Old Testament, women were leaders. Deborah was a leader. She was a judge of Israel. Holda, the prophetess, men, kings of Israel, would come to her and get words from the Lord because God was speaking through Holda the prophetess. And Micah chapter four, just a crazy chapter. 
It says in verse eight that the daughters of Jerusalem will take their kingship. What? Daughters are gonna be kings? What's it saying there? I think Micah was given a vision of down the road when you and I, male and female, sit next to Jesus, ruling and reigning the cosmos with him, right? Just a brilliant, brilliant text. Number five, the first evangelists sent out by Jesus, guess who they were? Women. John chapter four. The woman who had been married four, five times was currently trading sex for rent because that's what society had done to her. Jesus sends her out and she brings back this entire village, and they believe in Jesus. We read Mark chapter 16 last week. Who discovers the empty tomb? Women. The angel commissions them, go tell the disciples that he has risen. The first proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is done by women. They were the first evangelists, right? Number six, when the church is inaugurated, Right? It's a re-Genesis 1, if you would. The, the, the birth of the church. There in chapter 2 of Acts, Pentecost, God's Spirit comes down, fills, they speak in other tongues. Peter says, this is prophetic. Joel told us about this. That there's coming a day when your young men and your young daughters will prophesy. Equal. Once again, like Genesis chapter 1. Both are you're going to be doing this, right? Number seven, in Acts 18, there's this brilliant young preacher named Apollos, but he doesn't know the gospel. And so a husband-wife team, Priscilla and Aquila, grab Apollos and they together, male and female, help Apollos understand the gospel and how to preach it correctly. Men and women together teaching this young man named Apollos, right? Number eight, Phoebe, in Romans chapter 16, verse one, she is called in the Greek, a diakonon. A lot of translations, they're afraid of that word. And so they translate it servant. Well, Paul could have chose doulos for servant. He chose diakonon. Guess what we get from diakonon? Deacon. Phoebe is a deacon, and yet most translations say servant. Well, I don't think so. I think Phoebe, in a leadership role, Romans chapter 16, verse one, was a deacon. It's diakonon is the feminized word for deacon. Number nine, Jesus had a ton of ladies with him and ministering to him, and they're brilliant. And finally, number 10, here's Edgewater's position on all this. So here's what we think. Number one, there's a position for men only in the church. And there's all these words thrown around, bishop, episcopos, there's all these words. To me, the best word for it is the word elder. And in 1 Timothy 3, there are guidelines for an elder. This is what an elder is to be. Every single verb, all the grammar in it is male. You go to the Old Testament, every time elder is spoken about, it's male. You go into the book of Revelation, the end of times, all the grammar for elder is male. It's just throughout scripture. You can fight that, you can hate that, whatever you want. But to me, Genesis to Revelation, 
elder is a male position. And that's Edgewater's position, that men are elders. You go two more chapters and there's this position for women. It's the qualified widow and read the qualifications for that woman. They are high. She's gotta be godly and spiritual, prayerful. Like it's a high bar for a woman to attain that position. And it was a very dignified position in the ancient church. I think we've lost something there where they were revered and listened to. All right, so there's one for men and there's one for ladies. And you couldn't just pick one up and move them interchangeably, egalitarian. You couldn't. Now, why is that? Because... Men and women are different. Newsflash. I know we're trying to erase that, but we're different. We have different red blood cell count. We have different heart rates. Do you know this? When they have done heart transplant and they took a woman's heart and they put it into a man or they took a man's heart and put it into a woman, there's all kinds of complications with that. It only works when we take a man's heart and put it into another man. Why? Because we are different right? We can get angry at that. We can yell and scream about that. It doesn't matter. Emotionally, we're different. Physiologically, we're different. We're different, right? Is it better or worse? No, it's like this. I have two vehicles. I have a Chevy truck. It's diesel, 326,000 miles, kind of beat up, right? I love it. Love that truck. And then I have a 1966 Volkswagen bus, right? My truck has 350 horsepower. My bus has three horsepower. <laughs> Which one is better? It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm going to the dump, I'm not driving my Volkswagen. I'm driving my truck. If I'm taking my wife on a date, I drive the Volkswagen and pray we make it, right? <laughs> They're different. They each have their spot. They each have their purpose. And when you use them correctly, ah, oh, it's awesome, and women are different. When a kid gets hurt, where do they go? Mom, why? Because she's like, oh, come here. Oh, I love you so much. I carried you in my womb for 10 months. Sit down. Let me get an ice pack for that. Let me get you a popsicle and put on your favorite movie and Google what else to do. <laughs> and they go to the dad. And what does the dad say? Rub it out, boy but I can see my skull, rub harder. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. When I was a kid, and then the stories go, right? <laughs> right, we're different, and that's good. And it's not, it's not nurture that did it, it's nature. It starts on day one. So they have done studies on toddlers, and they put obstacles in the path of a toddler and a little girl toddler comes up to that and guess what she does? Finds a way around it. A little boy comes up to that same obstacle, what does he do? Straight through it, man. This thing gotta get out of my way, right? Viva the difference, right? We're supposed to be people that say that's a good thing. Now we are wise about it. That design of Genesis 1, Genesis 3 fractured it. Genesis 3 took the good design that God has and Satan has amplified the bad parts of it, no doubt, and that happens all the time. So men, what can happen is with men is that side of us can become dominant. 
And the women, the side of them, and you read Genesis 3, they can become too reliant, right? So men with our just independence. And when men mature, the way that they signal that they're mature is, I can do it on my own. I don't need anyone else. Women, the way that they mature is, I'm going to build community and interdependence, right? Like just, just radically different. But men in our independence and doing it our own way, we can become macho and dominant and tyrants and we don't listen anymore. And then women, what can happen with this reliance is, is there can be this passivity that happens in feminism where it's, I'm just waiting for my knight in white shining armor to come and rescue me, right? That can happen. It just pushes us out to the wrong kind of spots in those things because Genesis 3, the good stuff in men got broken. What happens when men and women realize these things and come together is we start to balance each other and it becomes beautiful and it becomes marvelous And we have this mutual respect for each other, realizing, hey, there are guidelines, and these guidelines help us reach our destiny well. Even things like headship in the home. Men should never demand that. The Bible never says a man can demand his headship. It should be, I've earned it because my wife knows I'm after her joy and her best, okay? And you're saying, well, Matt, why is this important even? Here's why. If I was to preach this message 25 years ago, the emails that I'm going to get, the emails that I would have got would be this. Women are being oppressed, they're being left behind. You know, come on, you can't preach that. Look what's happening to women. Fast forward 25 years. Is that the same today? Who's being left behind? Man. Women, Title IX stuff, good stuff. But, but even the, I think the structure of school, all those things, women are dominating. Women graduate from high school at rates much higher than men. Boys are two times more likely to be suspended. 70% of valedictorians in 2022, women. 60% of all college graduates, women. The majority of PhDs, masters, and doctorate degrees are now being taken by women. Unemployment numbers. Men are much more likely to be unemployed than women. Why? I think we've erased some really important lines where we've tried to tell boys and girls that there's no difference between them and you can be whatever you want. No way. We're not supposed to do that. Every single report I have read on how you educate a boy is different than a girl. Like the way that school is set up right now, it's set up for school, for girls. That's just that simple, right? Do some seat work, sit there. Who, who struggles sitting in their seat? Boys or girls, right? Because boys are hands-on. Boys need to be wrestled with. Boys need physicality. But we've kind of taken that out like, oh no, 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 those are bad. Are they bad aspects? I think God has put into men a desire to conquer and a desire to push back against bad things. It's in us from the time we were little kids. Elijah was that way, right? I remember this one time I was parked out in front of a store. I was waiting for charity to get out, to get done. And I'm just sitting there with Elijah. He's like two and a half, three years old. And there's a drug deal right in front of our car. Like a guy gets out, brown paper bag, hands the bag to a guy, guy hands him a wad of cash. And I'm like, whoa, that was a drug deal. Elijah said, dad, get him. I'm like, ah, no. (laughs) I 
don't want to die, son, but dad, right? That's in us. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it needs to be correctly aimed, no doubt, because we get off. But we're trying to erase all these things. It makes me sad because men are falling behind, right? Like I I had three daughters, one, two, three, and then I had a son. I raised my son very differently than my daughters. I I am still to this day much more physical with him. He is almost ready to take me. My elbow hurts so bad right now because I had to take him out. He was starting to flex on me. I said, okay, buddy. I said, I, you, you want this, right? He's like, yeah, come on, okay. Now I'm the one like crippled. I don't tell, don't tell him that. Do not tell him he hurt me. <laughs> oh, but he just, that's what it is, physical. And then I raised Elijah, I said this, you don't wrestle your sisters. You don't hit your sisters. You don't do that. You honor and you cherish and you love and you defend your sisters. You treat them differently. You and I will wrestle all the time. You don't treat your sisters that way. And it get hard because seventh grade, he goes out for wrestling. And I've told him now 12 years, you don't wrestle girls. You don't grab girls there. You don't do that to girls. My mom was a victim of domestic violence. You don't do that. It leaves scars for a long time. You don't do that. So he gets there. Guess what? Tournament number one. Hey, you're wrestling a girl. And I had told him up to that point, you don't do it. I said, it's your choice. You're 12. You decide what you want to do. He went to the ref and he said, ref, I'm forfeiting this match. I'd rather lose this match than lose my honor. And he walked away. And I was very proud of him for that. Yeah, you're different. And I know that people email me like, my daughter's okay, great. I'm just telling you the way that I have raised my son and the way that I think the lines have been for thousands of years and that we're erasing them and it's unhealthy, right? People that argue with me on this, I just say, look at our world. Do you think it's working well? No, we're just, you know, I'm antiquated. I'm this or that. Okay, that, that's great. Just tell me when you look out at the world, how do you think it's going? I think we have sowed to the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. And it goes back to these guys, Rousseau and Descartes and all these guys that have just reaped and put these seeds in. And now we're reaping them today. And it's, to me, chaos. It's chaos, right? So at Edgewater, we say elders are male. That's where they're supposed to be. And I think here's what happens when you take that away um, or it's abused, right? That, that idea of, of male headship can be abused and it turns men into bullies. And so men take it and we go, might is right. And I'm going to do whatever I want. And women submit and women should flee those kind of tyrants when it's abused, but also when it's refused, when it's ignored, when it's egalitarian, here's what I've noticed happens to men. They become bears and they go into hibernation. Like, mm, I don't need to do anything here. Right? My wife's got it. She can pray with the kids. She can read the Bible to the kids. She can take the boys to the, kid, to the church. I don't need to do any of that. I'm gonna go to my hobbies and my trinkets and my toys. And you look at churches that are egalitarian and the majority of them are 70 plus percent women because the men say, I don't have a place there. There's no, nothing for me to do there. And so they just disappear. And please don't get me wrong. This is, has zero to do with ability. This has everything to do with an order and a design that God put into us from Genesis chapter one. My wife is so much better than me at so many things. She's a harder worker. She's more determined. She is 
on it. She just, I mean, you name it. She's better than me. More compassionate, more kind. Every, every category that matters, my wife, my wife kills it. This has nothing to do with order. I mean, this has nothing to do with ability. It has everything to do with order, right? Men are disordered. We are six times more likely to get addicted to drugs, 10 times more likely to get a Dewey, 25 times more likely to go to jail. This has nothing to do with ability. It's an order that we're erasing and now men are falling behind. I just had this new article out of the UK and it's simply titled, Man Down. And it's all about this guy. It's the UK, not a Christian publication. It's in the independence. And it's just this guy saying, what is wrong with men? What has happened to men? Right? Because everyone's seeing it. Because we're erasing lines that for years have kept men and women in a flourishing position. We're erasing them. Yes, abused in history, totally. But we come back to what the Bible says. So here's Edgewater's position. Right? Women obviously can minister all kinds of ways, right? We had Megan leading worship. Was that brilliant? Yes. Would you like me to lead worship? <laughs> you would hate it. You'd never come back, right? She is more qualified. She is more gifted. All right, well, let, let's put you in that position, right? So there, women can lead and, and they do. So one of the best ministries at Edgewater in my humble estimation, because every once in a while I get the privilege of joining and doing something with them is the Titus II ministry. Vision by women, started by women, led by women. It is one of the most brilliant discipleship helping groups at Edgewater. And sometimes they call me in for something and I will sit there with this lady and they'll be talking and counseling. And I'm just sitting there going, I should teach kindergarten. What in the world? You guys are amazing to me. Men, we need to step up and have a Titus II for men because this is brilliant. Your discipleship and love and how you are helping other ladies go forward. It's amazing, right? School of ministry, we had it down in Mexico. Could have said it's all for men. We didn't. We said it's for men and women. It was 60% women, 40% men because that's the way it is nowadays. You may not know this, but you talk to any college person that's in charge of allowing students in. So an entrance person, whatever you call them, right? Here's what they're doing now. They are, do, they are discriminating based on sex. Do you know this? Study it. There are so many more women applying to colleges that they are literally letting less qualified men into the college because they're fighting something. Once a school gets over 60% women, guess what happens? Women don't want to go there anymore. Why? Yeah, you know why? Because it's college, you might meet your mate, but if it's 60, 70%, 30, it's, the odds get a lot slimmer, right? So there is this, it's under the carpet, no one talks about it, but that's what's happening because men are being left behind. And so we got to keep coming back to this thing, order, right? Well, Matt, what about that teaching text? 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 15. What about that one? Okay, let me give you a quick little Greek lesson. I mentioned it really quickly. It says, I will not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. The word or there is the Greek word oud, O-U-D-E. It's a conjunction that combines two things that describes the same thing. 
So it would be, if someone was describing me, they would say, Matt is a big, strong man, right? Both of those things go together, describing me, okay? It's the same way with that word. So it's saying, I'm not allowing a woman to be a teaching, ruling individual. Right after chapter two is chapter three, it's the qualifications for an elder. So in my humble understanding of that text, it's women can't be elders. That is the male position. You can hate that. You can call me uh, outdated. Doesn't matter. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. And I think that's what's being said right then. If it's literally a woman can never teach a man, then you take that to its logical end. Once a son gets 18, he'd look at his mom and say, mom, I'm a man now. I know everything. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Oh, wait, maybe that already happens. All right, it just, it doesn't make logical sense, right? I can and I have learned great things from ladies and I hope and continue to learn great things from ladies. So I don't think that's it's saying. It's saying there is a position that's for men only and it's the elders and there's a position for women only and it's a qualified elder, right? And I know that I'm going to get all kinds of fun stuff in email. And I know I'm going to be called a caveman. You are a Grants Pass caveman. You're antiquated and you're outdated. And okay, that's great. No problem. But I think the church has an opportunity in the 21st century when the world is just erasing all these important lines. The church has an opportunity to say, no, we're not. That I'm not threatened by very talented and qualified women. Praise God for them. And I want them plugged into the places that they are best used in the body. And I'm not, not women, I'm not uh, intimidated by men and their passions and their growth and what God has put in them. And I'm gonna pray for and trust that God has them doing what God has them to do. And when we do that, something beautiful happens. The strengths and the weaknesses, the corruption of Genesis chapter three becomes uncorrupt. And there's this beautiful symbiosis that can happen in church and it's brilliant and right. And are we learning and growing in it? Sure. Are we perfect in it? No. Are we trying to get better at it? Yes, right? Just like any person should be on this journey that we are with Jesus. And if you're here mad at me, just listen. I come to church and I've been coming to church for a long time so that I get straightened out. That there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. And so I come to church not to be reinforced in the things that I believe. I come to church to be reformed and have my mind changed so I reflect God's image. So I become more and more like him. And that's why we're here today. And so I would ask you to prayerfully consider these things. And next week will be even more fun. Come back for that one, right? <laughs> You'll have a lot of fun in that one. And so as we take communion today, I know this in my own heart. I can easily move too far into masculinity and its bad aspects. And so I have to come back and I have to say, Jesus, have I swung where I'm unhealthy and I've allowed my own corrupt nature to swamp out the good news of the gospel, where I've become a bully or a tyrant.
in my marriage or at church or with ladies. And I say, correct me. And maybe ladies, it's the same thing. You've allowed femininity to go into a wrong direction either way. And so we always come and say, you're our maker. Remake us in your image. Cleanse us and cure us. And so Jesus, today, as we partake in the bread of life, I pray for every man in here that we would be the best representations of what it means to be a man. Noble, courageous, kind. That we would be those that know that the desire you put in us as little boys to fight the bad guys is a righteous, good battle. And that we can go out from here today like velvet steel and push back against darkness. And for the ladies in here, with their many gifts, intelligence and wisdom, wisdom is personified as a woman. <laughs> Men, may we listen to the wisdom of our wives. May you take women with all their strength, with the capacity that women have to just stick with something, to not give up, not give up on people and not give up on kids, just tenacity. And may you take those gifts and use them to push against darkness in our community. So may we eat of your strength today, I pray. Let's eat together. And Jesus, it's so easy to have shame and guilt and remorse anchor us to our past where we know we've failed in these things, where we know we've let our old nature drag us back into the grave. And that paralyzes us from what you want us to do today. I pray as we drink today of your forgiveness and your cleansing and your acceptance and of the new kingdom, I pray that that anchor would be cut and we'd sail forward by the power of your spirit into all that you have for us today. Let's drink together. Amen. So we will sing one song. After that song, there'll be people up here that would love to pray for you. We also offer after every Sunday service, baptism right back here, Jason Folkstad. If you have any kind of question, you say today is your day to be baptized, talk with Jason. Would you stand for this final song?